It's soon time to eat matzah. The Passover holiday is coming up and these matzah boxes, Shmura matzah boxes, will be delivered to hundreds of homes here in Seagate. Today, at our Lunch and Learn, today is Tuesday at 12.15 uh, or a couple minutes late actually, and time for Lunch and Learn, our weekly Torah session. Today we're going to be talking about chametz and matzah. What is chametz? What is matzah? What's the message behind this special mitzvah? And hi, Amy. Hi, Michael. We're just getting ready for our weekly Lunch and Learn. Today is Lunch and Learn number 126. I'll make a blessing over a cup of water as we get ready. It's a busy time on the Jewish calendar. The weeks leading up to Passover, <clears throat> getting ready for the special holiday, but we make time to study about this holiday. We're going to look at some traditional sources, at Torah verses, at Jewish law, and some teachings of Kabbalah to give us a bit of an insight into this mitzvah, a matzah meditation. Not just to crunch on the matzah, but to think about what's the message of the matzah, what's behind this um, crunchy food. So, as usual, we have a source sheet. You can look in your emails if you're on my email list or on this post. There's a link to a source sheet to be able to follow along. Today's lesson is divided into four sections. We will tackle the mitzvah of refraining from eating chametz, what it's about, how it's done, the mitzvah of eating matzah, and some of its messages uh, over the next 60 minutes. Hi, uh, Judy. Hi, Jody. Hi, everybody. And hi, Susan, if you're still there. Nice to see you. And here we go. We are going to jump in. Hi, Bob from Orlando, Florida. Nice to see you. And I think we're just about ready to begin our lesson <coughs> on our source sheet. <coughs> we're going to take a look at the sources. What we'd like to do is not just hear people talk, but actually see for ourselves the original sources, although it's written in Hebrew originally, here we have them translated into English so we can understand. Um, here we go, source number one. As we begin to study matzah and chametz. Hopefully after 60 minutes we'll have at least a better understanding. Source number one, the Torah says, For seven days you shall not eat any leavening. Throughout all your dwellings, you shall not eat unleavened cakes. Hi, Gary. So if you thought that your dwelling or my dwelling or one's dwelling, a specific dwelling was excluded, the Torah says in all of your dwellings, whether you're in Israel, whether you're in America, wherever we are, for seven days, we should not eat something. What shouldn't we eat? Any leavening. A kind of dough which has leavened. It got to the process of becoming leaven, becoming fermented. As we will see as we go along, there are two kinds of dough. In the process of making dough, the dough can be unfermented, unleavened, and then it gets to a point that it's already considered leaven. So that what, should, what shouldn't we not eat for seven days? You shall not eat any leavening. And the Torah is very precise with its wording. There's no word that's superfluous in Torah. Torah doesn't just 
say the story with all the details. Torah picks every word and how it chooses to articulate every mitzvah and every prohibition. So the Mechilta, which is one of the Midrashim, the Midrash tells us from the Oral Law, that when it says any leavening, this comes to include its mixture. And not only is this actual dough, which is called chametz. Chametz refers to something which has become leaven. So it got to this process. So not just the actual chametz is forbidden to eat during these seven days, but any leavening, if this leaven was mixed into a product, was mixed into a dish and something, but it cooked together and the whole thing, there's a, it's a mixture of chametz, what's called in Hebrew taruvas, it's also forbidden because any leavening, even a mixture which has a little bit of leavening in it, is forbidden. For these seven days, and even though it says seven days, this applies in the land of Israel. Originally, the holiday was seven days, but for many uh, years already, we celebrate eight days of Passover, and that is because uh, the way the calendar is set up, and it's for another time. But many the holiday, many of the holidays, uh, Pesach and Sukkot, are celebrated two days in the diaspora out of Israel. Even in Israel today, certain places, new, newer settlements might also celebrate two days. So for us it ends up being eight days. <clears throat> That's the mitzvah in the Torah. It's in the book of Exodus. This is the will of Hashem. So let's get a little more details in source number two. All right, so chametz, you might say, well, we, we should refrain from breads and bagels and, and challah and so on. But it's not only that. It's any product that can contain something from grain as we will see, which can become chametz, if that product contains it, then it's a mixture of chametz and it is forbidden. That's why all of these products need to have a label, not just kosher, but kosher pea, kosher for Passover. And thank God we live in a time that the production of kosher for Passover items is amazing. I want to mention that today's lesson is dedicated to Binyamin, Ben Raya, and Avram. Binyamin, we're now in the Shiva during the seven-day period since his passing. A local uh, older man that passed away. So we're dedicating today's lesson, the Torah that we're learning to his memory, Binyamin, Ben, Raya, and Avraham. Here we go, source number two. Eating, even we have a quote here from Maimonides, the first comprehensive Jewish uh, you know, codifier of Jewish law. Eating even the slightest amount of chametz is forbidden. It is forbidden to derive any benefit from chametz. If on Pesach even the slightest amount of chametz becomes mixed together with another substance, the entire mixture is forbidden. We'll learn a little bit of halacha, Jewish law today, as well as the meaning behind it and its message, its inspirational message. So it's telling us a couple of details here. Maimonides is telling us, number one, the amount eaten is even the slightest amount. When it comes to other things, it says, certain measurements, but when it comes to chametz, even a drop, even the slightest amount of chametz is forbidden. And number two, not just is forbidden to consume, it's forbidden to derive any benefit, which is different. There are different things that we don't eat, even throughout the year when it comes to laws of kosher. But not every time do we say that it's forbidden to have any benefit. You know, you're allowed to have a stock in a non-kosher meat. You're having benefit, you're making money off it, as long as you're not eating it. Although certain mixtures, meat and milk can be forbidden in certain instances. But generally we don't say that if you can't 
eat something, you can't benefit from it. On Yom Kippur, we don't eat food, but you can benefit from food. You're allowed to take a cold apple and rub it on your cheek to give you some, uh, some uh, refreshing uh, feeling that you're allowed to do. But when it comes to Pesach, not just, hi Eddie, hi Shalom, not just we don't eat it, it is forbidden to have benefit from it. To the extent that if a drop falls into a mixture, as we've said before, any leavening, even the whole, the entire thing is forbidden. That's why it gives us the background why when it comes to Pesach, uh, there's such preparation and such searching and making sure the chametz is taken care of. What exactly is chametz? So, source number three, chametz is only from the five grains. What the Talmud said uh, thousands of years ago uh, now is able to be understood through scientific uh, breakdown of grains. What is, uh, what is chametz exactly? It's only from the five grains, wheat, rye, barley, oats, and spelt. So a grain, um, um, one of these five grains, or the flour from these grains, that can become into this thing called chametz, that can ferment. Now, kitneos. Kitneos refers to a group of other... Uh, kinds like rice, millet, beans, and lentils, and the like, do not become leaven. So bread made from uh, rice and, and, and other uh, similar things do not become leaven, even if it looks like it. It is the decay of the flour. How does it, how does it, it has a different halachic term. It's not fermentation. It's some other word. It's a decay of the flour. And chimots occurs only in the presence of water and is marked by the whitening of the dough and the appearance of hair cracks. So just to finish up here the description of chametz, chametz is that you take grain, let's say a wheat or one of the five grains, wheat, barley, oats, spelt, and rye. And this grain or the flour made from this grain comes in contact with water, specifically water, not jute, not pure fruit juices, but water. So then there begins a breakdown, even without yeast. But uh, there's yeast, I think, in the air. You know, uh, uh, I'm not uh, a chemist. I don't know the biology of, of plants and, and all these things, but you can check it up. There's a certain chemical reaction that happens in this mixture when the grain or the flour comes in contact with water specifically, and it begins to ferment the, the breakdown of the of the enzymes and it turns into carbon dioxide and that's what causes the dough to begin to rise the pockets of air that are created and that at a certain stage that becomes chametz that is called chimot it's called fermentation and a sign is that if you look on the dough you will see the appearance that the dough begins to whiten and cracks begin to form, uh, form like hair cracks. So that is a sign if the dough got to this stage, that is a sign that it is chametz, although it can be even before, but that is generally the sign that it is chametz. So anything which went through that process is included in the biblical prohibition of not eating this on Passover. Okay, now the scientists will tell you that the, let's say, rice grain rice and those things, even though they can also rise, the dough made from it, but it's missing a certain enzyme and the, I'm not sure what it is, the glucose and the, the, the process that happens over there is different. There's something missing in that, which is only in, present in the five grains. Okay, so what is the idea? Why is this forbidden? Why can't we eat this for eight days? Why can't we eat chametz from 
the beginning, the onset of the holiday of Passover until eight days later. What does God want from us? What's wrong if we have a little bit of challah? Source number four. We look back to the Torah to a story that happened 3,300 and almost 33 years ago. 3333 in the year 2448 since creation. The Jewish people have spent 210 years in the land called Egypt. A big portion of these 210 years, over 100 years, the Jewish people were enslaved by the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, tortured, and their babies killed and drowned and suffered uh, immensely. And finally, after 210 years, it is time for the liberation. God dispatches Moshe, Moses, finds him at the burning bush and sends him off to Egypt and brings 10 plagues. And finally, after the death of the firstborn, the Jewish people are set free. But after so many plagues and so many warnings to Pharaoh and the Egyptians, the turnaround was a, was a surprise, was, was shocking. It was instead every plague the Egyptians withheld the Jews from leaving. And all of a sudden, here not just the Jewish people are allowed to leave, but here they are sort of forced to leave. As the Torah describes in source number four, the Egyptians urged the people on, impatient to have them leave the country. Here they were holding them back the whole time and now they're urging them impatiently to leave. So the people took their dough before it was leavened and they baked unleavened cakes for they were driven out of Egypt and they could not tarry. The Jewish people didn't have time for their bread, for their dough to rise. So if you're in the baking business or you made, uh, you made bread at home, bakery business, you know that to make leaven dough takes more time. Well, if you add the yeast, then it takes even less time. But natural natural fermentation, not, without adding the element of yeast, uh, takes time. But still now it takes time. And for sure, back in the day when they didn't come up with that uh, invention yet, I don't believe, and it was just water and flour mixing together and waiting for it to rise, it takes time for the dough to rise. And even now... Uh, you know, you want to make challah, wait a couple of hours usually for at least an hour or two for the dough to rise. And the Jewish people prepared the dough and they didn't have time even for the dough to rise. The Egyptians were uh, urging them to leave. And the dough that they took out did not have time to rise. And they baked it unleavened. They baked it just as is without having a chance to rise, without reaching that stage in the process called fermentation that we mentioned earlier. And that is called matzah. Matzah means unleavened cakes, unleavened dough. And it's not just a description that happened to be, and later continuing in Source 4 in the book of Deuteronomy, it is repeated that specifically, why should you eat matzah, not eat chametz, not eat leaven? On Passover, for in haste you went out of Egypt, so that you shall remember the day when you went out of the land of Egypt, all the days of your life. It's a very important thing for us to remember that God is responsible for taking us out. If He didn't take out our ancestors, we would still be there. We want to be thankful and remember how this all began. So by eating, not just eating matzah, but actually refraining, which is much harder, these eat matzah, but to refrain from eating everything that we're so accustomed to eating for eight days, we are remembering the story that not just we were allowed to leave Egypt, but we were chased out of Egypt. We left Egypt in haste, and we hurriedly left Egypt. And that, remind, that is by eating the matzah, not eating chametz, because chametz takes time to bake. So by eating something which is prepared in haste, 
like eating matzah, which takes about, you know, nowadays the matzah, from when the water comes in contact with the flour, about three minutes later, three or four minutes later, the matzah is out of the oven. It is extremely fast. But to bake bread, to bake leavened bread, would take uh, much more time. So matzah is the quick food. Chametz is the slow food. Chametz is the food of procrastina- procrastination, slow, taking time, not so, uh, not so rushed, maybe a little bit lazy at times. But matzah represents doing, uh, matzah represents alacrity, it, it represents vitality, it represents not pushing things off, doing things enthusiastically, as we see in source number five, written a quote from the Chinuch. The Chinuch explains one of the reasons for the concept of chametz. He says, source number five in his words, the rejection of leavening which occurs due to a delay in the process of making the dough emphasizes the centrality of alacrity and an enthusiastic diligence in the service of God. You know, when it's time to make a bris for a little baby boy on the eighth day, we don't procrastinate and say, oh, we'll do it later in the day. Generally, we do the bris as soon as we can in the morning, right after the morning prayers. Now, if it does say if you have, uh, you'll have a better, a bigger crowd in the evening. So then, might, one might do it in the evening because it's also honorable to do a mitzvah in a great, in a bigger crowd. But generally, we do things early. There's a concept of being from the first ten to come to the shul to make the minyan, to be the first, to be there early. The concept of running to shul. We go quickly. We don't walk to shul uh, slowly. We walk home because. We're not too happy to leave Shul, but to go and do a mitzvah, to go to pray, there's a term, Zrizin Makdimin, those that are um, Zrizin, Zariz, those that do things quickly, they do things early. When it comes to a mitzvah, we learn, we be like, we're like the matzah. The matzah tells us, and the holiday of Passover, which is the beginning of the, of the, the birth of our nation, of the Jewish people were uh, born as a nation during this time, we remember that we don't eat chametz. It's not a time to, to say things slowly. It's not a time to, to um, do things um, sort of not with feeling, but rather like matzah quickly and alacrity. We're sort of rushed out and we do it as in the first possible, at the first possible uh, op- opportunity. So that is our one message, one meditation, if you might say, for eating matzah. Matzah reminds us to serve God with um, feeling and alacrity, like we, the way matzah is baked quickly. Now, that is our first section, a little bit about the prohibition of consuming and benefiting chametz during the holiday of Passover, and what is the breakdown of chametz and what it's about. So what do we do about it? How do we... How do we uh, prepare for the holiday of Passover? They say, how do you drive your mother insane during the Passover holiday? It's really a piece of cake. That's what it is. It's just a piece of cake. Cake is chametz. It has a mixture of, uh, of uh, flour and uh, even if it doesn't have water, nowadays the flowers are bleached, which, which is uh, the grain itself uh, are, are, are uh, dampened. Uh, so it's it's chametz. So the cakes are chametz. A piece of cake. What's wrong with a piece of cake? Why do we have to search our homes and cleanse our homes from chametz and do all the cleaning and the pockets and the many preparations that Jewish 
tradition is to, to clean it for Passover. Why is that important? I just won't eat it on Pesach. Uh, I'll leave everything the way it is. I just won't eat it. And I'll use my Pesach dishes and I won't eat the chametz and I won't benefit from the chametz uh, and I won't mix anything into my dishes. Why is it necessary to clean the home so we are introduced to another verse from the Torah which adds to this concept of chametz? Okay. Source number six. Another example I remembered about uh, about doing mitzvahs with alacrity. After Pesach, it's already eight days that we didn't, uh, this year it's going to be nine days that we didn't put on tefillin. Right? So we put on tefillin every weekday, but we don't put on tefillin on Shabbos or on, on major Jewish holidays. So all Pesach, all week of Pesach, we won't be putting on tefillin. So the first opportunity to put on tefillin the following Sunday or Monday, excuse me, after Pesach, is customary to wake up early because it's been so long since we put on tefillin. We do it early. We're excited about it. That's the message of Pesach. Hi, Alexander. So we're on to section number two, uh, the second part of Chometz. Source number six. By the way, we are fulfilling a a um, institution of Moses right now. Moses instituted that 30 days before the Passover holiday, one should study the laws of ho- of, of the holiday. This has been the tradition for for thousands of years that it's uh, it's not a, a, a mitzvah that comes up every day so not everybody is familiar and we need to be reminded so 30 days Moshe said 30 days before Pesach we, and, and other big holidays we should set aside time to study the laws and the ideas of the upcoming holiday the rabbis should give speeches and sermons about it and nowadays we have an abundance of books and websites and it's very uh, information is very accessible but nonetheless there is such a custom um there was a man named rav rav was one of the sages during the era that the jews lived in babylon about 1800 years ago or so or a little less and he instituted that all businessmen even all people that are already past yeshiva uh, time they would take a month off before Pesach and a month off before the high holidays to study to come and study go back to yeshiva and study these laws and it was called the months of the bride because the Torah is like our bride our loving bride and uh, everybody would take time to study this so that's what we're doing right now we're studying about Passover so let's take a look at source number six during the seven days no leaven shall be seen in your of yours in your possession Okay, it's missing here another couple of words. Not ju- it says not just it shouldn't be seen, but it should not be found. It shouldn't be there. Lo yiroe, it should not be seen. And lo yimotse, it should not be found in your possession. That's the continuation of the verse. So it's adding here that not just you should not eat or benefit from, have pleasure from, like feeding to your dog, that uh, the dog food or pet food or anything else or should also not be chametz because you're benefiting from it. Otherwise, you do it. You're, you're, uh, you would have had to pay for it another way. Um, so during the seven days, no leaven shall be seen of yours in your possession. Your chametz cannot be seen by you. If you own chametz, not just you can't eat it, you can see your chametz. And not just you can't see it, maybe hide it away or bury it. No, it should not be found. It cannot be there. It cannot be present. It cannot exist in your possession. 
Now that's pretty amazing because you know we don't say that before Yom Kippur to uh, you can't eat on Yom Kippur so you uh, take away all the food and we don't either say that before Shabbos you have to burn your car because we don't drive on Shabbos. We don't say that and that would be pretty sad or pretty uh, difficult. But when it comes to Pesach, we say because not just you can't eat it, not just you can't have benefit from it, you can't own it. You cannot own your chametz on Pesach. If you have chametz, you can't. It can't be seen, meaning it shouldn't be there, and it can't be found. You can't own your chametz. If it's not your chametz, that might be okay. It's not yours. But if it's your chametz, you cannot own it. That's what the Torah says. Yours should not be in your possession. A possession doesn't just mean that it's in your pocket or it's in your cupboard, the belong, uh, chametz belonging to a Jew which was left in his possession, even though it is buried and it's not seen, it is, is located in another city or is entrusted to a Gentile, causes him to violate the commandment because the Torah says, it shall not be seen, it shall not be found in your possession, you should not own, a Jew should not own chametz, dough or grain which came to the process, the stage in the process of fermentation from the five grains should not be found. So you want to drive your mother insane? It's a piece of cake. A little piece of cake, as we said, even a little piece, not just because you're going to eat it, but if it's found, that is a problem. So what should you do? What do we do about this? So back in the day, um, back in the day, well, let's move on to source 7 first, and we'll discuss about back in the day. What does the Torah say once again? Well, let's talk about this. So back in the day, how many... There was no refrigeration, there was no freezers, there was no uh, preservatives. Uh, you, you, you had something, you ate it, and that's it. It wasn't really... You didn't have a freezer to store away bread. So you, the, the bread that you have, the grains, the flour that may have been chametz and stuff like that, you, uh, you arrange that it should be all be finished and... You should be chametz free. No chametz should be owned. Hi, Jack. Uh, when once the holiday comes in. But nowadays, with all the advancements of technology and uh, all the great things that we have, the lifestyle that we live with refrigerators and freezers and things that can stay fresh—a box of macaroni and cereals that can stay fresh uh, for 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 months, uh, for many months. So, what does one do? Does one have to um, relinquish their ownership. What do we do? So there's a couple of steps here, and we'll go through them briefly. What can be done? Number one, that's source number seven. What does the Torah say? The Torah says we shouldn't own it, and the Torah tells us on the preceding day, you shall clear away all leaven from your house. It's always good to look at the sources, not a few rabbis that made this up. It is the Torah. What does the Torah say? to the Jewish people on the preceding day of the seven-day holiday or eight-day holiday nowadays, you shall clear away, in Hebrew, tashbisu, you should do away with all leaven, all chametz, and its products from your houses, from your possession, from your ownership. It is a positive commandment to destroy chametz before the time it becomes forbidden. We actually make a blessing on this, as we'll soon see. So it is a commandment, not just there's a commandment not to... Ha, eat chametz, but there's a commandment to go ahead and destroy and empty your home from chametz before the onset of the holiday. Actually, it's not. It doesn't. This prohibition of having chametz, owning chametz, does not start at the night. At nightfall, it actually begins from the morning, late morning of the of the day preceding Pesach. 
as the Torah says, on the preceding day. So you look on the calendar, it's, uh, it's probably about, uh, you know, 10.30 or so. I have to look exactly at the calendar. There's one, we stop eating, and then you have another hour or so to, uh, to destroy the chametz. So what does it mean to destroy? What does it mean to do away with? That doesn't necessarily mean literally, as we see uh, in source number 8. The first point is to nullify. It's called bitl. To nullify it within his heart and to resolve within his heart that he possesses no chametz. All the chametz in his possession or her possession be- being as dust and as a thing of no value whatsoever. So according to this strict law of the Torah, biblical law, one can suffice with a declaration. One need not actually search his home, biblically. Uh, the first step is to what's called bitl, to nullify, saying, any chametz that there is in my home is worthless to me. It is like dust to me. I do not own. Anyone can come and take it. It is not mine. Because Torah says you cannot own your chametz, your possession. But if it's not yours, you declared it ownerless, and you really sincerely and genuinely do not care for this chametz and you're fine if, it, if it's uh, not there anymore and someone comes to take it, you just don't want to have the hassle of cleaning your home, then Torah says that's the first step. The first step is to say this declaration. And there is this text in Aramaic that we say um, called kol chamira, any leaven or yeast I found or I, I, I'm aware of, I'm unaware of, should be bottled, it is nullified, it is not mine, it is no, has no value to me, it's like dust and uh, is, is not under my ownership. That's step number one. But uh, that is not enough. Of course, that's the first step because in addition to that, the Talmud says, source 9, on the evening of the 14th of Nisan, one searches for chametz in his home by candlelight. Any place into which, does not, into which one does not typically take leavened bread does not require a search. We have what's called the search for chametz, bedikas chametz, on the night before the day preceding Pesach. So uh, if Pesach is on a Tuesday night, so the night before Monday night, but this year, it is unique because Passover begins on Motzoi Shabbos, Saturday evening, and we don't do this on Friday night, so everything goes a day early, Thursday evening. So Thursday evening we make, this year we make, next Thursday evening, we make the search for chametz, and we go around after cleansing our home of chametz, ridding our home of any chametz pieces that we, that, uh, that we might have uh, left around Growing up, this was a this was a program for probably six weeks before Passover. Thank God, I've a, I'm born into a big family and uh, many bedrooms and kids taking pretzels and cookies and, and, and hiding it in all kinds of places between the books and in the couches and under the beds and in the drawers all over the place. We would find all kinds of the stale snacks and stuff. So it was a whole project of Passover cleaning, searching for any, even one drop. Uh, so after that was all done, on the nights we do the search of chametz with a candlelight, which is uh, which, uh, the traditional way of doing it, and a feather and so on, go around searching for the chametz, and it's customary to put 10 little pieces of bread wrapped up so uh, a person shouldn't get too bored if they don't find anything because the house has been cleaned so well, and they hide it, uh, kids or the wife will hide it around the house, and someone goes around, 
finally collecting the ten pieces and along the way searching if they have left anything out um, of chametz. So in addition to this nullification, this declaration that you're nullifying, you're relinquishing the ownership of the chametz and it is valueless to you. In addition to that, the Talmud says one should go and search for the chametz. Why? Why does he have to do that? Why do you have to search for it if it's not yours? So we have here a debate between two Rishonim. Here's a piece of the Talmud we learned in Yeshiva. Why does the Talmud, the Mishnah actually says this, but why? So there are two uh, explanations brought here that we've quoted here from two great Torah sages from the probably 11th century or so. One is called the Ran. Ran, he's known called, uh, as the Ran in short, which stands for Rabbi or Rabbeinu. Our master Nisim, his name was Nisim, Rabbeinu Nisim. And, and another one is from the Tosvos. Tosvos are the grandchildren of Rashi. A little later, the 12th, 11th century, or more the 12th century, the grandchildren of Rashi and, and their uh, colleagues in, uh, in France that put together on a commentary on the Talmud. So why are, what are two reasons why, in addition to this declaration of nullifying the Chametz, we actually go ahead and search for the Chametz and empty our homes from Chametz. Besides, we'll see what, where you could store Chametz. But generally, where we're, the rooms that we're going to be using and the cupboards and the places that we're going to, or the couches that we're going to be using on Pesach, we remove any Chametz from there. Why is that? Source number 10, 8. One reason brought by Rabbi Nisim, the Ran. A person may possibly have difficulty totally removing all thoughts of ownership over the chametz from his heart. You know, it might have a lot of chametz and you have in, in your home, it's not like you're throwing it out. In your home, you have a, a box of uh, macaroni or a case of, of macaroni and, 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 and liquor or vodka and all kinds of things which come from fermented grain and it can be worth a lot. And yeah, you're relinquishing your ownership and, and you're saying that uh, you, that it's worthless to you, but you know who's really going to come into your home and, and maybe you don't really mean it. And if you don't really mean it, then you didn't really re- release your ownership from it and then you might be... Uh, violating this biblical prohibition of owning any chametz if it's really if it's yours. So because we're worried, so therefore he says better just to destroy. That's why the not just better. It's the mitzvah that we we remove the chametz. And number two, B in source ten, one might accidentally forget and eat it on Pesach because this chametz is yours or was yours. And you're allowed to eat it, but right before Passover and right after Passover, you're allowed to eat it. So, your box of macaroni, if it's just sitting right there, yeah, technically you release your ownership and it's not yours. And you're, in your eyes, it's like dust, but right now it looks like good macaroni and it might just end up in your pot. And right now you, you're, not, you're not feeling too good and you would really appreciate a glass, a shot of vodka, you might just take it. And eating it, even, even if you don't own it, eating chametz for sure is forbidden, as we said in the section one. Eating any chametz, even if it's not yours, is a problem. So, yes, technically it doesn't belong to you, and the fact that it's found in your house is not a problem because it's not yours, but it might be tempting to you. And therefore, you should remove it. And that's why we searched our home from Chomets. So we do two things. Number one, we do both. We remove it, but in addition to removing it, we also nullify it. We do both. Maybe Because maybe we didn't find something. Maybe it's, Happens. It happened to me. I found some pretzels in our car uh, that was under the car seat that we missed, right? And then uh, that's a problem. Maybe I didn't really 
So therefore, we do both. We nullify it and we search for the chametz. What's the idea here? Source 11, what's the meditation? We had one meditation, that's another meditation of the chametz uh, problem here, the chametz challenge. The challenge to rid ourselves of chametz is not just literal, it's not just the actual bread that is chametz that became leavened or products that went through this process or contain something from this process, but there is another sort of chametz. It's said that the, you know, the, the Rebbe, our Rebbe, the Lubavitch Rebbe, one of the first books that he, that he authored, that he wrote, was a commentary on the Haggadah. The Haggadah is the Passover Haggadah, is the guide, the book that we use to go through the Seder. Hi, Mark. And in the, one of the first uh, entries, the Rebbe brings a story from the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Schneir Zalman, the first Chabad Rebbe, that when he was young, even before he became the Rebbe, he, was, he, he, he had a small house, it was him, maybe he was married already, his wife, uh, yeah, he married quite young, so uh, he was married, I'm sure, and, and probably in his 20s, and to search this small room that he lived in from Chametz, it took him a whole night. Now, it doesn't take a whole night. I Thank God I have more than one room. It doesn't take me a whole night to search for chametz. I haven't heard of anybody. Yeah, we have to search. And maybe we have to also check out the synagogue and make sure that's clean for, for Passover or put away. But it doesn't take a whole night. But the Alter Rebbe, it took him a whole night to search for chametz. What took him so long to search for the chametz? If he was just looking for chametz for pieces of bread or some crumbs or pretzels or whatever it was, uh, what takes so long? Obviously, there was another kind of chametz. There was another, and the Rebbe puts this entry in because this is important to us. It's not just a physical chametz, it's what chametz represents. It tells us, the, the mystics, the teachings of Kabbalah, what does chametz represent? Source number 11. The, charister- the characteristic of leaven dough is that it rises and swells. That's when this fermentation process happens, besides the whitening of the dough and the appearance of here-like cracks, the process uh, is that the, this causes whatever happens inside there, the breakdown of the enzymes and the transformation that happens there, it, it creates pockets. You know, sometimes you, you slice the bread and you see, you see uh, what's it called, a sourdough or different things, if I'm not mistaken, you see like holes in there or in the challah. That's the pockets of air from the carbon dioxide or whatever's going on over there. But that's the, that's the result, the characteristic of leaven dough, is that it rises and swells, symbolizing pride and boastfulness. The ego. A matzah, on the other hand, unleavened dough, is thin and flat. So you just look at the design, you look at the... Sh- the, 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 what, the, what the dough looks like, that suggests suggesting meekness, sub- submissiveness, and humility. Passover teaches us that chametz, arrogance, is the very an- antithesis, antithesis of the ideal of Torah. Passover is a very important holiday. It's the beginning of the, it's the birth of our nation. And here we have a lesson, not just to serve God with diligence, with uh, alacrity, but with humility. And it demands lots of humility because we try to grasp things with our mind and try to really understand everything uh, as logical people. God gifted us with a brain and we try to understand things before we do things. But as a Jew, 
it begins with matzah. We just look at the matzah, and sometimes it's required, as we see in Source 12, the prerequisite for any godly revelation is a self-effacing attitude in which we declare ourselves ready to give up our precious preconceptions and entrenched worldview in favor of a divine insight. To follow the teachings of Torah can sometimes be a little uncomfortable, especially if we're not used to it, and what's demanded, and, and it's not always things that we can understand. I mean, big deal. God could have came up with another way for us to celebrate Passover, a little bit more exciting or a little bit easier on our stomach, uh, or uh, not so expensive. You know, a pound of matzah is not so cheap. Take a thing now on Amazon, it's like 30 bucks for, for a pound of matzah. We can get it cheaper, but it's definitely expensive. But this is the will of God, and the, an ounce of faith, an ounce of humility, and, and understanding that we cannot wrap our brains a, a, around fully the will of the Creator. And sometimes we need to put ourselves on the side like the matzah, which is flat and uh, does not re represents humility. Unlike the chametz, the leaven, though, which rises and shows on the person's uh, ego and um, you know, pride. It's good to be proud, but it has to be what to be proud of. That is another meditation. So when this Passover we, we uh, enjoy, <laughs> if we can, we, we enjoy the matzah, take a look at the matzah and remember the chametz, how the different uh, looks of the chametz and the matzah remind us, they symbolize what Passover is about, what the message of the matzah is, eating unleavened dough, teaching us that an ounce of humility, our connection to God is not based on logic. We do and we should try to understand as much as we can, but it's not based. The foundation is not logic. The foundation is faith, not blind faith, a kind of faith which is uh, based on an intrinsic connection, like, like you trust and you believe in your parents because you know they're out for, for your best, they have the best intentions and you and you just you know that you know that they love you and they wouldn't ask of you something which doesn't uh, which doesn't make any sense. They're just doing it for the, for your best benefit. And we have that love to Hashem. We know that our neshama we're like children of God, and it's all um, we we have faith even if we don't understand. So that's what the matzah represents. You know, sometimes leaving our way of understanding things and our worldview and our preconceptions and embracing the view of the Torah and the more we learn about it, the more to uh, internalize and welcome it into our lives. Putting ourselves on the side like the thin, flat matzah. Okay, moving on to our third section. The clock is ticking. You know, the man that's was going out on a date and he had a more than a healthy dose of pride and uh, uh, boastfulness and he was going out on a date and he's talking, talking all about himself. The entire conversation, he's just going on all, all about himself and how great he is. And after about three hours, he turns to the, to the woman and he says, you know what, I think I spoke about myself too much. Let me give you a chance. What do you think about me? So that's not the kind of uh, character we're talking about. We're talking about being humble. Let's move on to, sor to Source 13 as we continue in our lesson. Here we go, Source 13. Now that we know about chametz, eating chametz, 
benefiting from chametz, owning chametz. Oh, let me just mention. So, what, do, what does one do if they cannot rid their homes of all the chametz? They nullify it, they can remove what they can, but what should they do with all the vodka and all the cereals and all the things in the freezer? So, there is a option. Nowadays, that we have preservatives and refrigerators, what you can do is store it all away in a, one cupboard or whatever cupboards that are not being used for Passover and seal it off. Seal it, put a piece of tape, put a sign, this is sold. You're going to sell this. There is this concept that was um, brought into Jewish law about 300 years ago that one can sell their chametz to somebody who is not obligated in, in, the, in this law, someone who is not Jewish, and legally, it's a halachic, a, a uh, real sale, it's a legal sale also, and that's why not everybody does it themselves. We have a rabbi who is well-versed with, uh, with the intricacies of the sale. We appoint the rabbi to act as our agent to sell our chametz. So a simple way is to fill out a form. Uh, we can do this online on our website, chabadseagate.com forward slash chametz, C-H-A-M-E-T-Z. And there, or if you just go onto our website, you'll find it easily. And you can fill out a form, put your name in, put your address, and that's it. And the rabbi will sell every, all of these forms that came in on behalf of everybody. And that chametz that is stored away in your cupboards for those eight days does not, is not considered yours. So it's not considered yours. So that's, you're not uh, violating that law. And... Um, and everything else, you nullified or you, you searched. But it, either way, whatever level of observance a person is holding, it is a beneficial thing to do to sell your chametz. Um, that way, technically, it is not um, legally or Jewish, according to Jewish law, owned by you. You don't have to pay. You don't have to do anything. Just sign the form and... Won't get into all the details how it's done, but there is lots of lots of uh, I don't want to say controversy, but different opinions exactly how it's done, and uh, every rabbi does it to the best of uh, you know the strictest way that he can. Okay, moving on uh, to source number thirteen, the mitzvah of matzah. In the first month, on the fourteenth day of the month in the evening, you shall eat unleavened cakes until the twenty-first day of the month in the evening, for seven days. Well, here we do eight days. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recipe suggestion. It is a mitzvah. It is a commandment, an obligation, an opportunity, a privilege, but a mitzvah for us to eat matzah on the first night. Here it says actually all all eight days, but from various verses it is deduced that it's specifically the first night and here also the second night by the Seder after nightfall until midnight to eat during those couple of hours a matzah, to eat a matzah, not a little nibble, not a bite, but a nice portion of matzah, the matzahs that we distribute here in Seagate, each matzah is the right size, um, if you have a bigger matzah or a machine matzah, it can be about one matzah or so, maybe a, little, a half a matzah, but a nice size of matzah. This applies in every place and at every time. Eating matzah is not dependent on the paschal service, even though 
a sacrifice. In the biblical times, in temple times, excuse me, they would, in addition to eating matzah, they would also have a lamb and a sacrifice that they would eat from and have meat. But even though that part we don't do nowadays, independent from that is the mitzvah of eating matzah. Source 14, throughout the other days of the festival, eating matzah is left to one's choice. If one desires, one may eat matzah. You want to eat matzah, you can eat matzah. But if one desires, you don't have to eat matzah the rest of the holiday. You may eat fruit and the like. Other things that are just chametz-free or any kosher for Passover products. Nevertheless, on the night of the 15th alone, eating matzah is an obligation. Here also on the night of the 16th, so uh, of the Jewish month of Nisan. So eating matzah on the first two nights of Passover at the Seder's is a biblical mitzvah of the highest... Um, level. And we make a special mitzvah. We make a mitzvah, we make a bracha, we make a blessing, asher, kiddushanu, a God has sanctified us in his commandments to eat matzah. It's not just like on Shabbos, we have challah. This is a real mitzvah, this is not just a custom, this is a mitzvah, biblical mitzvah, to eat matzah. And Jewish people through our history have gone to great lengths, if that's the right way of saying it, have gone to, uh, done risk their lives sometimes to fulfill this mitzvah of eating matzah, whether it was in the Soviet Union, many Jews have shared with us that matzah, to get matzah, was something very special. And uh, throughout the year, relatives would try to send packages to Russia, they should be able to have some matzah, or they would secretly bake matzah. I remember once watching this uh, song all about uh, how the Russian Jews would would, uh, make matzah, it was a very special experience and done secretly because uh, it was any religious activity was forbidden under for 70 years under the communist uh, regime. Whether it was in the concentration camps and before that, each generation with their uh, challenges, matzah has been a very precious mitzvah. Thank God we live in a time in a country that it is easy to get matzah with the click of a button. You can order matzah delivered to your home. And here in Seagate, we have a, a Rickman began a tradition many years ago of delivering special matzahs. We'll see soon the Shmura matzah to every single home, every Jewish home that we are aware of. This is the mitzvah of eating matzah. Now, there are all kinds of flavored matzah and all kinds of matzah out there in the market. So in order to fulfill this mitzvah of matzah, there's another element to it. Besides it being flat and unleavened, it also has to just contain two ingredients. As the Torah says, you shall eat, source 15, you shall eat unleavened bread, bread of affliction. Or it says, lechem oni, a poor man's bread. What does this mean? A poor man can only afford two simplest, the two simplest ingredients, flour and water. Matzah can be made with eggs and oil and honey and all kinds of things. But our ancestors ate this poor man's bread while enslaved in Egypt. Besides, we said before that when they left Egypt, they, bread didn't, the dough didn't rise, didn't become leaven. But one of the interpretations is that actually in Egypt, they, as slaves, this is what they ate. They ate simple bread, poor man's bread. They ate plain bread, very, very um, simple, not very tasty. If it contains other ingredients, the matzah is considered rich and not valid for the mitzvah. So for the Seder nights, to fulfill this mitzvah of eating matzah should be plain matzah. Matzah made of flour and water. No extra ingredients. That's called poor man's bread. Poor bread. Bread lechem oni. But if it has other ingredients, it's called rich man's bread. And that is not fit 
to fulfill the mitzvah of Passover. The rest of the days of Pesach, it's another discussion. Generally, um, we try to stick to matzah made from, uh, as long as it says kosher for Passover, from a kosher certification, that is oh, that it, that should be okay. But for the seders, we should have the matzah, which is not just flat, but also pretty tasteless. Why? Let's take a look at source 16. Provisions, too, they could not make for themselves. I want to uh, say over here that the ingredients are water and flour. And usually we use wheat. If somebody has a problem, they can use other grains. But generally, we use specifically the wheat for the matzah. So water and flour. We do not put in blood. About a thousand years ago began this trend of people making blood libels. A libel that Jewish people before Passover would get, would uh, kidnap or and kill a, uh, a non-Jewish kid and take use his blood for the matzah. This was a terrible uh, libel and the Jewish people suffered immensely from this for many years. And even as recent as the early 1900s, I think it was in the, maybe 1910 or 1912, there was a blood libel in Russia, in Tsarist Russia, and a man named Mendel Bayliss was accused of uh, murdering uh, one of his workers, I believe, or a worker in the factory where he worked, uh, and I think it was in Ukraine. And he was uh, in prison. It was a whole long, drawn-out court case. I remember reading a book about it. I think he eventually eventually was was freed and uh, um, came here to America. You think even in New York? Long story, but as recent as early 1900. Now, of course, this is all baloney because Jewish people were forbidden to have any blood. It's something which is repeated many times in the Torah. It is forbidden for us to consume human blood for sure, animal blood. Only thing we could have is fish blood. Even that, there are some uh, restrictions. But uh, for sure not in the matzah. The matzah has to be plain matzah, bread. Uh, dough, excuse me, or flour and water. The only thing that it does say is that our wine, if one has a choice between white wine and red wine, so it's customary to have red wine if they're both uh, equal. Uh, if the white wine is not better, we take, if the white wine is better, we take white wine. But if the red wine is fine and it's good, we take red wine because you remember the suffering of the Jewish people that Pharaoh was bathing in the blood of the Jewish boys that, that he slaughtered because he was... Uh, uh, plagued with leprosy and he would bathe in their blood. So it's to be red to remember the blood. But uh, God forbid in the matzah. Just flour and water. Whew. Source number 16. The Torah says, provisions too they could not make for themselves. The Jewish people were living in Egypt for 210 years. They had homes. Yeah, they were slaves. But they, they were set up. And now they're just told to pick themselves up. And most of them, I would imagine, there was a few old old guys that were over 210, but most of them were born in Egypt. This was their home. This was their life. And yeah, the Jews had their own place to live. Many of them, Goshen but, or, or Ramses. Uh, but uh, that's, that, that, that was their life. That was their hometown. And here they are told, they're by, instructed by Moses to uproot themselves and just go out to the desert. No, yeah, they're going to go to Israel. No real plan. And they were so chased out of Egypt that they did not even have time to make provisions, food. Where, where are they going? Where they, they don't have any ovens. They're, they're just flying out of here. So what? the only thing they did have is this dough, the Torah says. They had the dough that didn't have time to rise. And uh, this little dough they had as matzah. So the only food they did take was the matzah. 
So what does the matzah represent? To apprise us of the eminence of Israel. They did not say, how can we venture into the desert and with no provisions or the, on the road? For the road said, hey, how can we go out like this? How are we going to survive? What are we going to eat? You know, it takes time. We're not taking a plane there. We, even a plane, we, <laughs> I think since then, the Jewish people are so uh, worried that to make up every time we go on a trip, we have sandwiches and sandwiches that we come, <laughs> we come enough with enough food for, uh, for a month. So, the matzah is the food of faith. To apprise us of the eminence of the Jewish people, that they had the faith in Moshe, they had faith in God, that He will provide from them. He is leading them out of Egypt. All they did was had matzah. That was, the, that, that was the matzah. That's the only food they took. And actually, this matzah miraculously lasted them for 30 days, and then the manna came, started to fall, and God provided for the Jewish people. But they did not say, hey, how can we leave our homes and, uh, and, and all our comforts that we have here in Egypt. Yes, they were slaves, but you know what? They weren't working too hard for the past six months during the times of the Ten Plagues. And here they didn't say, oh, let's prepare, let's, let's get ready. They left and they had trust in God. The sparse, source 17, the sparse makeup of the matzah reflects the simple faith of one who was roused by a flash of divine truth to follow God into the desert. He does not yet fully comprehend what just took place. There's no richness of intellectual taste. All he tastes is his firm resolve to serve God. Here's another meditation. A matzah meditation. Matzah is a food of faith. Matzah is in our life. What does this represent? The Jewish people at that time were not, did not have intellectual taste. What does chametz represent? Chametz having a good taste. Chametz bread has... Or, uh, you know, has all kinds of ingredients. That represents understanding, logic, not just in this look that it has risen, but in its taste. Matzah is very bland. Matzah is very simple. That represents a lack of understanding. Just, you know the truth. Like the Jewish people then, they were new to this whole God thing. It says Jewish people in Egypt, they, they were pretty... Um, you know, even serving idols, the Midrash says. But yet, God loved them and took them out. But they, they, had that, they had that recognition and that feeling that this is the right path. And they put their trust in God, even though they didn't really understand. They didn't have, they, all they tasted was something bland. They just, they just knew this is the right path. They didn't really get it yet. They didn't really have the understanding and intellectual element to it. It was matzah. Matzah represented their spiritual state. And yet... They were ready to jump into it and follow this path. And sometimes in our life as well, we know it's the truth, but we feel a little scared or where we want to understand, but we know that it's true. We just got to jump in. And once we jump in, then everything else will come. We'll learn more. We'll understand more. We know it's true. It's the simple faith that we just know, I'm, I'm just going to do this. And eventually you'll get uh, some chametz taste as well. But the beginning, Passover is the beginning of our nation. It starts with that leap of faith, trusting in God. Let's move on to our final section. Shmura matzo. Oh, the clock is ticking. Let's try to do this uh, rather quickly. Uh, and then we'll have time for questions and maybe a story. Source number 18. Something called Shmura Matzah. So the mitzvah is to have matzah. 
Well, there are two kinds of matzah. Even matzah, which is not egg matzah, not matzah made with other ingredients, plain matzah, water and flour. You have chametz. Chametz is once the dough got to that process of leavening, of fermentation. Then you have matzah, but you have regular matzah and you have shmura matzah. What's the difference between regular matzah made from flour and water and shmura matzah? What does shmura mean? Shmura comes from the word guarded, watched, like a shomer or shmira or shomrim. You might have heard of shomrim. Shomrim is like a patrol in Jewish neighborhoods in Crown Heights or Flatbush excuse me, or Borough Park, they have uh, the Jewish patrol making sure uh, everyone, all Jewish families are safe, or everyone is safe, in addition to the, to the police. Might see their cars around. Shmira. Shmura, matzah shmura. Where is this concept? What does it mean, matzah's guard? You've got to guard the matzah. What does this mean? So it all comes from the Torah, from the Torah. What does the Torah say? You shall, source 18, you shall watch over the unleavened cakes. What are the two ingredients that are the most susceptible, the most chance that they will become chametz? It's flour and water. The same ingredients that we use to make matzah, that is what is able. You're not making potatoes. You're not frying potatoes in oil, which won't become fermented. It's not from the grains. But matzah has to be from the five grains. Matzah is coming from something which is the most easy, most possible, and that, can, that it can ferment, that it can become leavened. So matzah needs to be guarded. This process, the grain, the dough, needs to be guarded and it doesn't get to that stage and it remains matzah. And it's a mitzvah. It's a mitzvah to guard the dough. It's a mitzvah that the process should be done in such a way that we're doing this for the sake of the matzah and making sure it does not have any opportunity, even a far-fetched, um, uh, possibility or risk of it becoming chametz. So we should guard it. So what is this shmur matzah? Every matzah actually has to be shmura. But we'll talk about it. One second. They should not... So what are we guarding? And continuing in source 18, that they should not become leavened. A person must be careful regarding the grain from which he sets on Pesach, from which he eats on Pesach, and make sure that no water has come in contact with it after it has been harvested. Right? It's only water. Fruit juices, pure fruit juices is not... Uh, assist in the does not make fermentation it's only from the five grains and water so we need to guard the matzah what does it mean source 19 as long as a person is busy with the dough it will not become chametz person is constantly constantly manipulating and pouncing the dough kneading the dough use working the dough it will not rise this for this process this reaction to happen in the dough it needs to just sit there but every time you bang it, every time you knead it, you are crushing and collapsing those pockets of air that are beginning to form inside the dough. If he lifts up his hand and allows the dough to rest so that it rises to the extent that a noise will resound when a person claps it with his hand, it has already become chametz. If a noise does not resound and the dough has lain at rest for the time it takes for a man to walk a mill, it has become a chametz. So the Ramadan is adding something. Before we mentioned about the appearance of here like cracks or that the whitening of the dough. Here Ramadan says that if you slap the dough and you hear a resounding sound, that's the sound from the echo, I guess, of, the, of those pockets of ear, of the dough that has risen, that is a sign that it's chametz. 
Even if not, but 18 minutes have passed. That is the time it takes for a man to walk the, 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 a mill. A mill is a, a, how do you say, a measurement of uh, land, uh, a distance of land. And generally it takes 18 minutes to walk that time. So if a piece of dough just sits for 18 minutes without being manipulated, it will be chametz. It's considered chametz that that process began to take place, even if you don't see those signs. If you see those signs, it can happen even earlier. As well as other things can happen even that can hasten the process under 18 minutes of this happening. So we do all we can to avoid any um, risk of the process of fermentation taking place. We do it as quick as possible, even under under 18 minutes. We constantly manipulate the dough from when the dough, the flour, comes in contact with water in the kneading bowl, constantly kneading, and as soon as the dough is kneaded, it is divided into pieces, that each piece is right away given to a roller, someone who has a rolling pin, and rolls the dough right away. It's immediately put on a stick, and directly into the oven, a boiling hot oven, because once it goes into the oven, that stops the rising process, right? Once it doesn't rise, once it comes out of the oven, once the heat, and it's really hot, it's about 900 degrees Fahrenheit, um, and once that, uh, once it comes out of the oven, it's usually like three or four minutes to stop the process. So it's constantly being manipulated. But... Where does Shmura come in? What does it mean we're guard not we're not just guarding it in the actual process once it was it came to Lisha. Once the, the kneading began, when the actual water comes in contact with flour. Uh, I was once in a matzah bakery and even the sticks, every under eighteen minutes they change all the sticks, the rolling pins, because when you're rolling the dough, a little bit of dough can get stuck to the pin and it can begin to ferment that little dough. And that little dough, which fermented, can get stuck to another piece of matzah. And and uh, even a mic- and then that can be a problem. So they they take the sticks and they sand it down and they use another set of sticks. They do all kinds of things. They'll put a new paper, uh, you know, tablecloth on the, on the rolling table in case something got stuck over there. So every matzah, every kosher for Passover matzah is guarded from the time of kneading. And even more than that, it's guarded from the time of grinding from when they grind the kernels into flour they are watching it guarding and making sure the mill uh is is clean and not no moisture around because the kernels themselves can begin to ferment and and uh rise shmura matzah is unique that it is guarded from the time of harvesting they will choose a very dry day. Well, once while, while it's connected to the ground, if it rains, of course, it's not a problem. Once it's disconnected from the ground, and then it, it's wet, so that can begin the fermentation process. So that's a very dry day. And from where they store and how they store it and, and all the details. So Shmura Matzah is unique that it's not just guarded from the kneading pro- beginning of the process. It's not just guarded to uh, not become chametz from the grinding but it's all the way from the harvesting and that's why you'll see on the matzah box shmura matzah mishas ketzira which means guarded matzah from the time of the harvesting um trying to see it doesn't say clearly on this box but 
most boxes of matzah, well, that's the real term of the shmur matzah, mishas ketzira, from when it was harvested. Let's talk about the water. Source, where are we here? Source 20. It is desirable to be stringent regarding the flour used for the matzah of the seder, and if possible, to guard the wheat from the time the wheat is harvested onward. That it should avoid being coming in contact with any, uh, any water or moisture. But... Regu- so that's what it means. Regular matzah kosher for matzah for Passover. That it's guarded, but it's guarded from the time of kneading, or probably from the time, even from the time of grinding. But shmura matzah is so special that it is grind- uh, guarded from the beginning of the process, from the harvesting, and it's preferable. It says in the code of Jewish law that it's preferable to have that matzah at least for the mitzvah of eating matzah on the first night and the second night of. Pesach, for the Seder. Number 21, the matzah that a person eats throughout all the days of Pesach may be needed solely with cold water, but not with lukewarm water. The rationale is that when the water is not cold, it is very easy for the dough to become comments unless one works it with it with exceeding vigor. So, uh, just giving another example, uh, there's many, 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 many details. It's not something that we should try at home to bake matzah because there is traditionally the way the Code of Jewish Law brings how the matzah, which things are accepted that we are careful. For example, the degree of the, the, of, of the water. We don't use lukewarm water because that can hasten the fermentation process. And even if you are manipulating the dough, it can happen really fast. And unless you do it with exceeding vigor, and therefore we use specifically cold water, um, room temperature, we actually draw the water the night before. It's a whole special process how it is done. <clears throat> a lot of faith. This matzah is not just a food of faith because that's the food that they left Egypt and they had faith in God that he would provide for them, but to do, follow all of these risks and, and, and uh, precautions, you just got to have faith that this is the right way to do it. And actually, that's what it says. That's why we, we, we're doing this for the love of the mitzvah, to fulfill the mitzvah of guarding the matzah that it should not become leavened. And we go to, to an extreme when it comes to this mitzvah. Now, Source 22, Shmura matzahs are round, kneaded, and shaped by hand, and are similar to the matzahs that were baked by the children of Israel as they left Egypt. It is thus fitting to use Shmura matzah on each of the two Seder nights for the matzahs of the Seder plates. So Shmura matzah is the preferable way of having it, and also because Shmura matzah is hand-baked. In addition, it's hand-baked, the ones that we have. And hand-baked is, and round, is exactly like the matzah that they baked back then. They didn't have machine-made matzah. They didn't have uh, square matzah. The Torah says it was round. Uga it was, uh, was a circle, circle, uh, circular matzahs. And that is the fitting way to fulfill this mitzvah. Talk about machine matzah soon. I want to take everyone's time for those that need to leave. Source 23, the final source. Getting back to the theme of matzah being humility, the name of Moshe is not mentioned in the Haggadah even once, despite the fact that the entire miracle of the Exodus transpired through him. Because Moshe was the most humble person to ever live, his name is not associated with this miracle. Where we see this concept of humility and Passover brought out, that in the entire story of the Haggadah, the ten plagues and all going to Pharaoh and to tell him to leave, let the Jews free. Moses, his own name is not mentioned. He didn't write the Agada. The Agada was written, I don't know, we have the first Agada was about, about a thousand years old or so. But his name is not mentioned. 
And one lesson is because Moshe, the Torah um, testifies, was a very humble person. And he would not want his name mentioned. Yeah, in the Torah it's mentioned, but in the what the Seder, when we're celebrating the story, um, his name is not mentioned. And one of the reasons, many reasons given. One reason is because Moshe understood that it's not about me. I'm just filling my role, the role that God set for me. And that's the message for all of us. <clears throat> it's not about us. It's about us doing what we are here for, what God put us here for, what our mission is. And then we can be proud that our mission is being accomplished. Let's talk about machine matzah a little bit. Um, so machine matzah is a uh, invention about maybe 150 years or so, 1800s. And it's able to produce many, many matzahs in a very short time. But there's a couple of problems. One problem that the, some rabbis had with, if it's kosher for Passover on the, on the label, it's okay. But at the time, and why it's preferable to have handmade matzah for the Seder, is that machine-made matzah, there are certain um, pieces that can get stuck in the machines, and we're very careful of guarding the matzah that it should be uh, it shouldn't come to fermentation in the machine. Uh, it's 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 more difficult. Another thing is that uh, I think they come out square, so that's another thing. In the machine, I, I I don't believe that you could have round. Maybe things are different now, but generally, machine-made matzah is is uh, round, is square, and as we mentioned, it's preferable to have round matzah at least by the seder. As well as there is, uh, at the time, there were many, many poor families that uh, got a bit, a nice income from working many months. They, matzah, they start making matzah months and months before Passover. Everything is handmade. It takes time, even though with all the alacrity and all the, the, the rush to make the matzah quickly, it still takes time. And uh, people, are, people were uh, employed. Poor families were employed to roll the matzah and and um, also the intent is a person is supposed to have the intent when making the matzah they're doing it for the mitzvah and machines can't really have that intention right it goes uh, similar to uh, writing a mezuzah it's not just about writing it's about that's why it can't be done with a machine with a printout it has to be handwritten the person has the proper kavana the proper intentions when doing the mitzvah and similarly with the matzah it needs to be done with with the proper feelings and towards that should be done the shame matzah's mitzvah you walk into a matzah bakery every couple of minutes you'll hear all of the rollers saying the shame matzah's mitzvah we're doing this for the mitzvah of matzah and that is not as easy to be accomplished when you're doing a machine a machine doesn't have that you can say putting on the putting on the turning on the machines but those were some of the the, the <clears throat> so if it's kosher for passover you can enjoy it, but for the Seder night, it is preferable to have handmade shmura matzah from the harvesting time. <clears throat> and just flour and water. Okay, hope that uh, we went a little overtime, but hope that was helpful. And we know a little bit more about matzah and chametz after this uh, lesson. I'll share with you uh, two little anecdotes, those that want to stay on. If anyone has any questions, feel free to comment. Uh, Bob will get your question in a moment. So talking about humility, I'm reminded of the story of the two uh, rabbis that 
two brothers. They were both rabbis, and uh, one rabbi had people would come to him. You know, they were Hasidic rebbes. People would come to them for blessings and guidance. There were two brothers. One brother lived in one town. The other brother in another town. One brother, people flocked to him. Everybody was banging on his doors, flocking. You know, coming to get his blessing and advice. There were lines out the door, out of his house. Everybody was clamoring to get to, to see him. And the other brother had very few, very few followers. No, nobody really was attracted to him. So the brother with the few followers came to visit his other brother, who was uh, at a packed house. And he says to his brother, I don't understand. How come everybody is coming, wants to come to you and nobody wants to come to me? I mean, why am I any different? Uh, why does everybody want to come to you and not to me? Why, doesn't, why isn't everybody coming to me also? And his brother said, you have a question, how come no one's coming to you? I have a question, how come everyone is coming to me? You're coming and saying, why isn't everyone, why people are not coming to me? I have a different question. I have a question, why are they coming to me? And then he says, maybe that's why everyone is coming to me and, every, and no one is coming to you. Because my question is, how come they're coming? That's my feeling, that's, how, that's a feeling of humility that attracts people. And you, because you, what you're thinking in your head is, I'm so great, how come people are, I'm so humble, how come people are not coming to me? So because that's your question, that's why people are not coming to you. The story, the story, many beautiful stories about matzah. The, the Rebbe began this campaign of every Jew receiving Shmura matzah. Shmura matzah is the bread of faith, and the Zohar, the Kabbalah, refers to matzah, the food of healing. It's nourishment for the body, spiritual nourishment for the body, Literally, and nourishment for the soul. The Rebbe would give matzah for people that had ailments, physical ailments, and it's also good for faith. If somebody is struggling with faith, matzah, the shmura matzah from the harvesting time, this is extra special. It's food of faith, food of healing. And the Rebbe, in the early 1950s, began this campaign of trying, every Jew should have this, uh, this shmura matzah. Somebody once came, a wealthy individual came to the Rebbe, and he says, I have a lot of, very uh, large sum that I wanted to donate for a big project. And uh, the Rebbe said, uh, a big project? You should, you should donate it for Shmura Matzah. Shmura Matzah should be able to be distributed to Jewish people. And he said, no, Rebbe, I ain't a big project. And the Rebbe got very serious and says, you know, he, he said, I want like a big building or something. And he said, and he said, the Rebbe said, you know, big buildings are nice, but if you want a big project that I feel is a really good project, this is Shmura Matzah. Every Jew should have Shmura Matzah. This is truly food of faith and food of healing. And Rabbi Kunin, Rabbi Kunin is the head Chabad rabbi of California for many years already, since the 70s. Uh, if you remember the Chabad telethons, he would have, I think he still has, uh, where many celebrities would come on and uh, sing and raise money for Chabad of California. Rabbi Kunin in the 1950s, it was 1958, and he was studying here in Brooklyn, and he lived at the time in Bronx. Actually, I believe he had his bar mitzvah, if I'm not mistaken, right here in Seagate. At one point, his family was living here in Seagate. I believe Rabbi Rickman told me that. But at that time, in 1958, he was living in, uh, in the Bronx. And the day before Pesach, he stood online and he received a piece of matzah from the Rebbe's hand. And the Rebbe asked him on his way home if he can stop at a certain address in the Bronx and deliver matzah to them. And he did so, but by the time he found, he got there, it was late. By the time he found the address, it was, uh, it was already nighttime. It was already time for the Seder. Yeah. And he found this, it was a housing project. And he came to a, a poor family, a big uh, man. 
with a t-shirt and uh, you know not the not their typical person he was uh, you know surprised that the Rebbe was sending matzah to this family and he came in and he said are you so and so and he said yeah you know what do you want uh, as someone would say in the Bronx I guess in those days and he said well I have something from the Rebbe he said oh the Rebbe please come inside and the man uh, brought him inside and uh, his wife came and he said this is matzah and he realized that you know this family was not ready for the Seder, was not planning to celebrate a Seder. So he said, okay, this is probably why the Rebbe sent me here. He sat down and he said, let's make a Seder. And his wife came, who was uh, visibly pregnant, and two little girls came in. These two little girls were blind, unfortunately, very sadly. And they began the Seder. They didn't have any wine, so they did it over uh, water. And whatever, from his memory, he didn't have the Haggadah, but he shared whatever he learned from the Rebbe. And he spoke a lot about faith, having faith. Uh, that's the theme of the matzah and the chametz and uh, refraining from chametz and the holiday and, and sharing and, and sharing uh, all about this concept. And at the end of the seder, it was one o'clock in the morning. The girls went to sleep, and uh, now it was time for him to ask his family, "What do you, what do you have to do with the Lubavitcher Rebbe?" And the man shared that he had an acquaintance, and he had, his wife is pregnant, and. They were very, uh, you know, they weren't sure. They were told to do an abortion because the other two girls were blind. And he wrote a letter to the Rebbe and the Rebbe, um, you know, told them to have faith, have faith in God, let go and let God and everything will turn out to be okay. But they were still a bit apprehensive. It was difficult. They were very uh, confused and uh, unsure. And here the Rebbe sent them some matzah, some food of faith, and she ate the matzah, the mother and the husband and the girls, they had this matzah that the Rebbe sent. And sure enough, a short while later, they, she gave birth to a healthy baby boy with full eyesight. And, uh, you know, the man the family was saying, that thanks to your teachings of faith, we were uplifted and they decided to go ahead with, uh, with the birth. That was a, a beautiful story that I read recently, but there are many, many such stories of matzah. So... If you want more shmura matzah, let us know. If you know someone that can use some shmura matzah, we will be happy to provide them with shmura matzah. Okay, questions. Um, I know Passover ends on a Sunday. Yes, so Sunday to Sunday or Saturday night to Sunday night. Is the eight-day holiday of Passover. What time on Sunday can we eat bread at the end of the holiday? Um, if you are want to eat bread that was stored away and sold to the non-Jew, then you should give a couple of minutes after nightfall for the rabbi to go to the person who was sold to and um, buy back the chametz for everybody, and then everyone can open the cupboard. So give a you have to probably ask your rabbi who you're selling it with because you're on different time zones. So best is to sell your chametz locally. And I would imagine give about 15 minutes or so, or wherever your local rabbi suggests here, it's about yeah, about 15 minutes right after uh, <clears throat> until you buy back from the rabbi. <clears throat> why is it why and not what? Not sure about what your question is. Um, okay, next week is, is, uh, the, is a busy time. And we're getting ready for Passover. So, <clears throat> so enjoy the rest of your, of your week. Enjoy the rest of your day. 
and Zeigezunt. Be well. Thank you for joining on for our weekly lunch and learn. And be well.